You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org. Thank you, Barry. Um, Several years ago, I had been invited to speak out at Glorietta, uh, New Mexico, at uh, a missions conference week. And uh, if you remember, Glorietta, there was a Baptist retreat that was in the West. Ridgecrest is here in the East, in North Carolina. And so I loaded up Deb and the kids, and we went out to Glorietta to, um, for me to speak there at the missions conference. And uh, I spoke in the mornings. I don't think, I didn't speak at night, did I? I just spoke in the mornings, and we took the rest of the day. That's how I would do vacations. And my family reminds me of that all the time now. So, Daddy, every time we went on a vacation, you were preaching somewhere. And so I'd preach in the mornings, and then I'd take them in the afternoons, and we'd go do something. One of those afternoons, I took them out whitewater rafting. I thought, well, we'll just have fun. We'll go out, do this. We were near Taos, and so I think we went down uh, the Rio Grande. Um, We got there, and the guide sat in the back and told me, now, you come now, I'd never done this before, and you sit over here to my right. And he said, this will get a little sketchy going down. There are certain places where this is going to be pretty rough. And he says, I need you to help me steer this raft as we get around some of these whitewater rapids. So I said, okay. You know, and I thought, well, you know, how bad can this be? It's a rubber raft. Good night. On a river. So, and all the kids and Deb, and I think there were a couple of other folks that uh, went with us, and they piled up into the thing, and so we started off. We headed down uh, the the river, and sure enough, he was right. There were spots where that thing got really rough, and I, you know, I'm putting all my energy. I've got my family here. I don't want to dump the boat over it. I don't want some, I don't want a kid to die. I don't want to lose anybody in the family. I want us all to get to the end and have enjoyed this thing. But I'm telling you, I am tensed. I'm locked up, man. And this guy, he'll say, do this, do that, do the other, this kind of thing. I'm trying to do it. I'm watching down the river. I'm watching every big rock I've got my eye on. Every limb that sticks out, you know, the water, where it's swirling. You come by some of these pools and they squirrel, and we get through three hours later, three hours later, we get to the jumping off point. I was exhausted. The kids are, let's do it again. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. I said, not on your life. We're not doing it again. I get in the car. I'm soaking wet and I'm exhausted. I'm tired. And on the way back to Glorietta, this is what I thought to myself. That's exactly what God's called me to do as a father and a husband. It's exactly what God's called me to do. He's called me to keep my eye ahead of where I'm leading the family and directing the family and to watch for every boulder, every limb, every whirlpool that's out there. And God expects me to guide my family looking ahead, watching, making decisions before we ever reach white water. Now, I share that with you because Lot failed miserably in that area. Take your Bibles and go with me tonight to the 13th chapter and the 19th chapter of Genesis. 
Those two chapters, we're in a study on the life of Abraham because Paul tells us that uh, all of these things in the Old Testament are written for our examples. They are there for us uh, to learn, to read, to learn, to follow, to understand, I don't want to make that mistake. I don't want to do that. We shouldn't mess up in this way. Lot does. Uh, He doesn't watch out for his family. He doesn't think about the decisions that he's making. And because of that, his entire family is wrecked. His His entire family, the raft of his family is turned upside down and he loses really every single one of them. It's, it's, uh, it's a sad story. It's not a story that we look at too often in the Old Testament. But in the life of Abraham, that's where we happen to be. And I'm going to start in the 13th chapter. And I want to show you four fatal flaws a father can't afford for his family. Four fatal flaws that you're going to see that Lot made that really cost his family everything. And so let me pick it up there, chapter 13, get down to verse 11 and 12 because we've really already looked at this chapter. I'm just going back, and I'm going to show you the first flaw. The first flaw is this. Here it is. He placed the material above the spiritual. Now, you recall God called Abraham out of Ur to go to a land that he's going to give him. God says, I'm going to bless you. And as God blesses Abraham, which is so true of Christians, as God blesses the life of Abraham, those blessings just splash out on everybody that's around him. One of those happens to be his brother's boy, Lot, his nephew, that he brought with him. So as God blesses Abraham, all of this blessing, you know, from God blessing the people, listen, let me tell you something. That's true in the church. God blesses the church God has blessed this neighborhood and this community because of this church and the other churches that, it, that, that are here in this area that preach and teach the word of God. God blesses the community. Uh, the, the blessings of God just pour out over. They did on Lot. As God blessed Abraham, his flocks grew, his herds grew, so did the flocks and the herds of Lot. And they grew so much that the shepherds, the servants of Lot, and the servants and the shepherds of Abraham began to have conflict with one another over grazing ground, over water holes, over where they could put the flocks and the herds and uh, Lot's flocks and herds and Abraham's flocks and herds. And it got so intense that Abraham had to take Lot He went up to a mountain and he said, listen, we can't do this. We're family. We're not going to do this. This isn't the way we're going to live. And what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to let you choose. So if you're there in chapter 13, if you look at verse 8, Abram said to Lot, please let there be no strife between you and me or between my herdsmen and your herdsmen for we're brothers. We're family here. We're not going to live like this. Is not the whole land before you. Please separate from me. If to the left, then I will go to the right. If to the right, I'll go to the left. Now, when he said that, I have no doubt that in the mind of Lot, automatically, he thought to himself, Uncle Abraham is slipping. He's slipping. He's given me first dibs on what part of this land I'm going to take. In his earlier days, he wouldn't have made a decision. He's getting old. 
He's slipping a little bit. He wasn't made. And so I'm going to choose. He's looking out at that lush part of the Jordan Valley, that part of the valley that is green and growing and has water uh, and is um, just perfect for herds uh, and uh, cattle and sheep and all of that. He says, I'm going to take that. And that's what he chooses. He chooses that. In fact, this is what I want you to see. I want you to look at verse 11 and look at those first few words because that gives you an insight into the heart of Lot. Lot chose for himself. That really says it all. I imagine he stood there and he thought to himself, I can't believe I'm getting this. In fact, if Lot's peers had been there, they would have congratulated him on the art of the deal. He chose for himself. He made a decision on the material, on the professional, on the personal, on the financial. He made a decision absolutely forgetting the spiritual. He wasn't thinking about the spiritual at all. He wasn't wasn't thinking about how is this going to affect my family? How is this going to affect my marriage? How is this going to affect the future of my kids? I'm going to make this decision purely on the material, and I've pushed the spiritual off to the side. Because everywhere Abraham went, remember, I go back to the opening days of when we started looking at Abraham, that everywhere he went, he would build an altar and he would worship God. There was worship in the camp of Abraham consistently. His family was exposed to that. Now he's going to move his family out from that based on a financial material decision. Through the years as pastor, and I've been pastoring now for almost 40 years, I go back to the early days before I even went to seminary when I was called to first Damascus. You know, we had 12 people that first Sunday. But through the years, I, I have had men that would come to me and they would say, Pastor, we're, 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 we need to talk to you because we're, we're going to have to move or we're moving. Now, I understand sometimes you have to move. I understand that's a necessity at times. But through the years, I've watched a lot of men come to me and say, Pastor, I've gotten a new job, I've gotten a new position, I've gotten a new offer, and I'm going to be making $10,000 more a year. And through my mind, immediately, I run that, you mean to tell me you're going to uproot your family and move your family out of here somewhere else for $10,000 a year? I mean, in all honesty, you're going to do that for $10,000 a year, for $20,000 a year, for $25,000 or $30,000 a year. You're going to take your family up, and I'll look at them, and I'll say, but your, your kids have grown up here, and they've been involved in the church, and they're so active, and they've got their friends that are here, and uh, they love the Lord, and they're active, and they're involved in all of that, and you and your wife, you're a leader here in the church, and y'all are involved in all of this, and you mean to tell me you're just going to uproot, you're going to take it for $20,000 a year. Well, you know, Pastor, it's going to mean so much more down the road. It's going to be... You know, what do you, what do you tell me? Do you know a church in that area? That always usually is the question. I'll say, well, you know, so-and-so's there. Go to this church, or I'll try to find out a place for you to go. And I'm going to tell you how that has ended up through the years. It has always ended up in the same way. At some point, I'll hear back from that family. They'll either call me. Somebody will come and say, I've heard from them, and they want you to give them a call. Or today, they will send you an email And they will say, I've got a problem. Can you call me? This is what I'm going through. Something has happened. The kids 
have gone off and they're into this, they're into that, they're into something else. My wife and I, we're not doing well. I want to tell you something. It is foolish to make a decision to move your family from where your children and your marriage is prospering spiritually for many. Now, I'll give you the flip side of that because when I was in Dallas, I was on uh, nationwide television, and um, one of our big markets happened to be Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Go figure. I don't know why people in Milwaukee, Wisconsin love to hear uh, a South Carolina accent, but they, we got so much mail out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And I had a family up there who wrote me that got saved. They wrote, to, they wrote me and they said, listen, we watched this for several weeks and you just need to know, we prayed the other day with you when you gave the invitation. Of course, I wrote them back, hey, that's great, I'm thrilled. Now go find a local church, get involved in a local church. And one Sunday at First Dallas, I'm standing down there at the invitation and a family walks up and they tell me their name and they say, we want to join the church. And I said, now, are you, you, where are you coming from? They said, we're coming from Milwaukee. And I said, are you the folks? Yes, we got saved watching on television. And uh, I said, now, you want to join? You want me to baptize? We want to be baptized as a family. We want to do that. And um, I said, well, that's great. Now, have you found your church back there? No, we are moving to Dallas. We've sold everything. said, I've got to have a new job, so I just decided I'm going to move my family where we can be in church. Now, that has happened once in a 40-year ministry, once in a 40-year ministry. But I can't tell you how many times I've had a man come up and say, I'm moving my family because of a financial decision, and somewhere down the road, it comes back. This was horrible for my marriage. It was horrible for my children. We got out from that influence of the spiritual because I made a material decision. And we need to listen to that. I, you know, I, I know I, maybe sometimes I'm funny, but I am as serious as a heart attack at this point. Let me tell you, we'll give our children, we'll sacrifice and give our children a car, but we will not stress Christian standards with them. We'll give them a list of expectations, but we will not set an example. We'll give them a Bible to read, but we will not give them biblical convictions. We'll teach them to play, but we won't teach them how to pray. We'll take them to the magic kingdom, but we'll never really instill the kingdom of God. We'll spend all of our time and effort getting ready to go off to the lake and the beach, but for some reason we can't get out of the bed and go to church on Sunday morning. We make decisions like Lot who made a decision for the material over the spiritual. Now, let me give you the second fatal flaw. Second fatal flaw was this, is he underestimated the location and the temptation. Look down again now at verse 12. I'm still in chapter 13. Abram settled in the land of Canaan while Lot settled in the cities. Now, look at that. That's plural. And it's going to give you indication of what he's doing. He's moved from city to city to city. He settled in the cities of the valley, and he moved his tents as far as Sodom. I love the way the King James puts that. He pitched his tents towards Sodom. 
that was so telling of what takes place in his own life. But let me tell you something. You can never live near temptation without there being spiritual capitulation. It's going to happen. Now read that verse again. Abram settled in the land of Canaan while Lot settled in the cities of the valley and moved his tents as far as Sodom. Now, whenever you're studying Scripture, always read the context of everything that you are reading. Keep it in the immediate context, then keep it in the book context, and then you keep it in the whole of Scripture context. Look at what it says in the very next verse. The men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly and sinners against the Lord. Now, it says that he's moved his family that way. He's he's moved his family. He's bought a house that's in the direction of Sodom, and the Scripture gives you a descriptor of Sodom. The men are wicked exceedingly, and they're sinners against the Lord. You can't put your family in proximity to that kind of stuff and it not have an impact. Now, I suppose, and I imagine, that Lot thought to himself, you know what, I can block that. I'm going to be so busy. I've got so much work. We're going to homeschool these kids. We're going to keep them out of school. We're going to keep them right here in the house, in the tent, in the camp, right here where we are. None of that's going to affect us. We're not going to watch that. We're not going to see that. That's just We're just putting that out of our mind. It will not happen to us. It will not happen to my kids. It will not, you know, it will not take place. If you go to chapter 19, which we'll get to in a minute, and you read that and you follow this, he's moving from this city, one city to the next, to the next, to the next, to where you discover in chapter 19, he is in the heart of the city of Sodom. Why? Because there is a lure to it. It lures him in. Let me tell you what begins to happen right here. This is what happens. You move to a place like that. You get in proximity of temptation like that. Then he began to associate with those people. He had to. He had to do business. They had to go get groceries somewhere. They had to go down to the DMV. They had to go to the town center. They had to get to the Galleria. And you're going to begin to associate with these people. And once you associate with these people, then you begin to adopt and bring in just a little bit of that culture. And pretty soon what you've done is you're developing an entire Sodom mindset. It doesn't happen as quickly with the adults. It happens lightning fast with the kids. It happens extremely fast with the children, and what you end up with is you end up with an unholy mess. Do you realize that's why you consistently, consistently, regularly have your children in church? And that's why you are to be regularly in church is because here this counters the culture that you're living in all week long. This reinforces the biblical mindset, the Christian worldview. Here we're trying to constantly bring you back to the Word of God and the thinking of God, 
and the command of God on the way we live life because you're out there doing business and living life and getting an education in the midst of a world that has no biblical worldview, no Christian worldview whatsoever. And let me tell you something. The danger is, is that you begin to adopt that culture into your own life. Well, I can tell I'm not getting any amens tonight. So let me take you to the 19th chapter because it's just going to get worse. I do have one redemptive verse for you at the end. Let me give you the third fatal flaw that he believed. He believed he could influence his family by word rather than by example. Now, all you've got to do is just watch where Lot moves. And you can tell he's not leading them by example. So I guess he, he thinks I can tell them and they will do it. Fat chance. Verse 1 of chapter 19. Let me read the first three verses. Now, the two angels came to Sodom in the evening as Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. And when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. And he said, now behold, my lords, please turn aside into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go your way. They said, however, no, we'll spend the night in the square. Yet he urged, verse 3, he urged them strongly so that they turned aside to him and entered his house and he prepared a feast for them and he baked unleavened bread and they ate. Now, here he is in the gate of Sodom. In other words, he is now... Um, if, if Lot were living today, you'd go home this evening, turn on the television, and you'd find him in the, in, the, in the middle of the debates. He's in the political life of the city. He's in the political life now of the country. He's sitting in the gate. That was the, that was the state capital. That was the national capital. That was the city hall. That's where the judges sat. That's where all the men sat who made the decisions about what would take place in the city. And so there he is, and now he is a part of the political process of Sodom. This guy has gone from where he pitched his tent towards Sodom to through those cities leading up to Sodom, and now he's right there in the midst of it and a part of the political process. Now, the interesting thing to me, and this is something I've thought about the entire afternoon as I was uh, looking at this and going over this, is when Lot saw them, the two angels, verse 1, when he saw the two angels, when Lot saw them, he rose up to meet and he bowed down. He knew who these people were. Nobody else does this. Um, nobody who sat in the gate of the city would have ever done that. You would go and bow to them. They didn't get up and go bow to somebody else. You went and you bowed down to them because they were the leaders of the city, the leaders of that government there. But he recognizes them. Now, I've got, I've got to just chase this out in my head because I've got to know why, how. Was it their dress? I have no clue. Was it that he had seen them in the camp of Abraham before? Can I venture something, or you want me just to go on? Well, good. I'm going to do it anyway. So, 
Let me show you something here that's very fascinating to me. I think they must have spoken to him. And when they spoke to him, he immediately, by something they said, they most likely said, we're here uh, on the Lord's business. And they used a specific word. Go look back a page or two to Genesis chapter 15. I'm going to show you the first time that this name of God is used. Genesis 15, verse 1, after these things, the word of the Lord. Do you see that there? Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's Yahweh. That's the covenant name of God. That's the name that we translate usually, Jehovah. The Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. And Abram said, O, capital L, lowercase O-R-D. First time it's used. From Genesis 1 up until this point, it's the first time that that name of God is used. If you go back, you're going to discover that every time you see Lord, it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. So right here. It's the name in Hebrew, Adonai. Master. Owner. Abram called Jehovah Adonai. Master. My owner. And I just suspect that maybe they came up and they came up with that name of God on their lips and he immediately thought, I've not heard that anywhere except from Abraham. These are the angels of God. And he bows down before them. He bows down before them and uh, he tells them this. Now, behold, my Lord's Turn aside into your servant's house and spend the night. Now, he's not told them. They've not told him yet what's going to happen. Come home, spend the night, wash your feet, and you rise and go on your way. And they answered and said, no, we'll stay tonight out here in the square. Now, I don't have time to do this, uh, but tonight you go home, and let me give you perhaps the darkest chapter in all the Word of God. It is an incredibly, incredibly dark chapter. It is, I believe, the 19th chapter of Judges. We're going to get there. It is not pretty at all. 19 and 20. If you get to chapter 19 of Judges, you're going to think this is the exact same thing happening all over again, except this, this is not an angel. It turns out to be a priest. So that's all I can tell you is if you want to look at that, if you want to go home, do a little homework, there you go. Uh, they say we're going to spend the night in the square. Now, the square was where, folk, that was the hotel of the ancient world. Uh, the warder was there. A cistern was normally there. There was uh, around that place somewhere normally you could get something to eat. And they say we're, we'll just spend the night in the square. But he urges them strongly. You can't do that. Just like in Judges 19, there's an old man that comes along and sees this priest who's going to stay in the square, and he tells him, you can't do that. You can't stay here. You've got to come to my house. You've got to get inside before it's dark. He urged them strongly, so they turned aside. They listened to him, and they entered his house, and he prepared a feast uh, for them. Before they laid down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, I'm in chapter 19, verse 4, surrounded the house. The men of the city of Sodom surrounded the house, young and old, 
all the people from every quarter, that is, every section of the city, which indicates to me that this, that this was replete. This had covered the entire part of civilization, what these men were there for. Um, they called a lot, verse 5. And they said to him, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may have relations with them. I don't know any other way to interpret that. Um, I've read a lot of interpretations. I've read interpretations from liberal uh, commentators and theologians. I have read interpretations from those who are part of the homosexual community about this. And I'll give you what I think Scripture says. They wanted the men to have, they wanted the men in order to rape them is what they wanted. There's no other way to describe it. You can turn it, you can twist it, you can do whatever you want to with it, but I'm telling you that is exactly what the Hebrew says here. That's what they were after. That's what they wanted. Um, I realize that what I'm saying is um, not popular today. I realize that what I'm saying is not politically correct, which I could I'll go home and take a baby aspirin and go to bed. It won't bother me at all. I, I, I realize that a, most families today have been touched in some kind of way by this. I in no way advocate anything but love toward those who are sinners. But I'm going to tell you, homosexuality is a sin before God. Okay, now, for all of those of us who are not homosexual, adultery, fornication is a sin before God. So, but that's what's happening here. Scripture calls it exactly what it is. I've shared with you before, that's why I believe that this is the Word of God. It's one of the reasons why. It is so earthy. They come and they want them. We want these two men. Now, I want you to watch this because this is the unbelievable part. You're coming up on two things here that's just beyond me. Lot goes out to them at the doorway, and he shuts the door behind him as if you can keep from an angel anything. And he says, please, my brothers, do not act wickedly. Anything grab you there? He calls them brothers. Brothers. He thought that he could keep himself from being affected and infected by this culture. And he ends up, Lot, from out of the tents of Abraham, the friend of God, calling these men brothers. My brothers... Do not act wickedly. Now, here comes the part to me that all, if there were not a verse in the New Testament, I'd write him off right here. But I got to deal with a verse in the New Testament. And I don't like it. But I didn't write the book. He comes and he says this. I have two daughters 
who have not had relations with men. Please let me bring them out to you and do to them whatever you like. What kind of father is that? What kind of dad is that? Now listen, let me tell you, you get to Judges chapter 19, you're going to read the same thing. What kind of father does that? What kind of father? I would die now for my family, but certainly for my wife, my daughter, my granddaughters. You'd have to kill me. You'd have to come through me. And here he comes and he offers, knowing probably what would happen to them would, would be death. That's what happens in Judges chapter 19. These Men are so brutal in what they do, they kill the woman in chapter 19 of Judges. But he offers this. The men are so dead set in their perversion that they won't have that. Stand aside. Furthermore, they said, this one came in as an alien and already he's acting like a judge. Now, do you hear what they're saying there? We know that you're an outsider and you're trying to be a judge over us. You don't judge what we're doing. Good Lord, that's the verse out of Matthew that the whole of the country knows, and they lift it completely out of context. Don't you judge me. Well, listen, I make judgments every day. I judge every time I go to the gas station. I'm going to put it in my car, not in my mouth. (laughs) The Word of God doesn't tell me to take my brain out and set it to the side and don't make judgments. I do make judgments. Here they say, don't you judge us. We'll treat you worse than them. In other words, we'll for sure kill you. So they pressed hard against Lot and came near to break the door, but the men reached out. The angels reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves trying to find the doorway. Now, I've gotten you to verse 12, and I've got to show you something here. And um, that's just a side note. Verse 12, look at this side note that's here. Now, I want you to count up those that are mentioned here in Lot's family. There's a lot, that's one, and his wife, that's two. There is, it says here, a son-in-law. That's singular, a son-in-law. So you got a son-in-law, and he's obviously got a married daughter. So that's four. It says here, and sons. In fact, the interesting thing is they ask him, who else have you here? And then they, they list off who's in his family. The angels do, and sons. Now, that's plural. So that's at least two, and I don't know how many beyond the two, but it's at least two. So there you go, that's six. And now his daughters, he's got the two daughters that he just offered to give to these men. That's eight. Now, Abraham bartered with God and he said, that's not really a good term, but you know what I'm saying with that. He went and he asked God, he said, God, if there are 10, you know, I'm going to ask you one more time, God, if there are 10 righteous, I, I, I suspect that there were no more than nine in his family. And I think the answer probably be eight. 
And he said, if there are 10 righteous, would you spare the city? And God said, if there are 10 righteous down there, I'll spare, this. I'll spare the city. Now, I've just counted up eight. Now, just hang on to that thought and keep that number there in your mind. You've got these eight people. But look at what the angels ask him. The angels ask him, whom else have you here? Now, Lot, you've, you've been here for a period of time enough to become a judge. They've made you a judge in this city. Surely, somewhere along the way, you've had some godly influence on somebody. Who else do you have in the city? Is there somebody else? You've been working here for a period of time. You've been moving toward this way. These people have known you for some time. Um, who, who else have you been working with? Whom else do you have in the city? Let me tell you, that's a question that every Christian needs to ask himself or herself. Whom else do I have in this city? Is there anybody else in this city? Are we, and you're going to hear this again, are we spiritually investing in others? Are we in our Christian life spiritually investing in other people? There are people that are all around us at work, at school, in our community, all around us, have we touched anybody, influenced anybody for Jesus Christ? I'm going to tell you, I think that Lot thought he might could just influence them some way, by his words maybe, because he sure didn't influence anybody by his life. Look at how he lives. We're told that these angels told him what was going to happen. And he went, he went out, he goes out, verse 14, and he speaks to his two son-in-laws. Now, these are the two guys that were going to marry the two girls that he was going to give away to this crowd. And he says to them, up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy the city but he appeared to his sons-in-law to be jesting. That word is used one time in the Old Testament, and it's used one time in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, it's onomatopoetic. It sounds like what it is. Tzaka, tzaka, tzaka. They laughed at him. That's funny. Pawn-law, that's funny, pawn-law. You're coming in here telling us that the judgment of God is going to fall down on this place. <laughs> You've been living here like us. We, we can't tell any difference in you and the rest of this community. This is a joke. The girls put you up to this. The guy's had no influence even on his own son-in-law. I got a son-in-law sitting here. He had no impact even on his son-in-law or son-in-laws to be. The most important message that Lot would ever deliver in his life to his family, and they wouldn't listen to him because of how he'd lived all these years. They thought it was a joke. He'd lost the respect of his family in the area of the spiritual. Let me give you one last thing, and the last thing is this, the fourth flaw. 
he underestimated the influence of Sodom on his own life. 15 and 16, when morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife, your two daughters, who are here, or you'll be swept away in the punishment of the city. Get up. Now look at the opening words of verse 16. But he hesitated. Now I want to tell you something. Uh, Angel shows up at my house and tells me that God's about to rain down brimstone and fire on Hoover. I'm out. I'm, I'm moving over here to somebody's house in Birmingham. He hesitates. He hesitates to the point that the men seized his hand. They seized the hand of his wife and the hands, plural, of his two daughters, for the compassion of the Lord was great upon him. Now, let me just, let me just show you something here in all of this. This is kind of interesting if I can find it very quickly. Um, Verse 29, you see, you just read, for the compassion of the Lord was upon him. Why is that? Let me tell you why that was. It wasn't because Lot was just a great guy. It was because of Abraham. Thus it came about, verse 29, when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst. He did it because of Abraham. Listen, let me tell you, you're praying for somebody. Don't you stop praying for them. Don't you stop praying for them. I honestly believe this before God, that a great deal of the reason why God has blessed my life has been because of the prayers of my daddy. I'm convinced of that. And I think to add to that, the prayers of my wife. Don't you ever stop praying. Don't ever. Because God will hear your prayers and will act on your prayers and will save the hide of some sorry whoever you're praying for. Isn't God good? Just hang on. You haven't seen the goodness of God yet. Just hang on. All right. The compassion of the Lord was upon him, and they brought him out and put him outside. And when they brought him out to escape, you know, he's got the bellyache about this. Oh, no, I can't go up into the mountains. I don't want to do that. It, it, it is so tragic how much of this place had gotten a hold into his hearts that he can't bring himself to leave the valley, the vicinity of where this is. So he asked him, let me go to this small town. There's a small town. Now behold, this town is near enough to flee to, and it's small. Let me escape there. Is it not small? I keep t- he keeps iterating. This is a small place, insignificant, nobody much there. Let my life be saved. He said to them, Behold, I grant you this request also, not to overthrow the town which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive at that place. Therefore, the name of the town was called Zoar. Now, um, here's the tragedy in all of that. The boys don't get out. The son-in-laws to be don't get out. Only Lot, his wife, and the two girls. Lot's wife isn't going to make the trip. The angels look at them and say, you go, but don't you look back. You leave, but don't you look back. And the Bible says in verse 26, but his wife from behind him looked back. 
The angels could grab her hand and pull her out of Sodom, but they couldn't grab into her heart and pull Sodom out of it. And she becomes, you remember in the New Testament, she becomes simply a memorandum. Remember Lot's wife. She just becomes a signpost on the road to hell is what she becomes. The two girls only ape what they have seen in their culture. Uh, They simply mimic the lifestyle that they thought was acceptable because their dad had taken them into it. And they commit incest with Abraham, uh, with Lot. They commit incest with their father. The Moabites come out of it. The Ammonites come out of it. Two of the most hateful people to Israel in the years to come. They're cousins. But they're absolutely hateful. They deny them food. They deny them water. They deny them everything. And God says, you're going to pay for that. Um, one of the saddest letters I... I've ever gotten in my ministry. I may have told you this before. One of the saddest letters I've ever received was a man who came to Christ on up into his, maybe his 40s or 50s. I think he's in his 50s. He's got four grown sons. He wrote me and he said, I listen to you every week. I watch you on television. I listen to you on the radio every single week. I'm in church. I'm actively involved. God has so blessed my life. God has so blessed, you know, my marriage. God has forgiven me of the years that I've wasted, and I'm so thankful that I'm saved, and I love the Lord, and I'm actively serving the Lord. But he says, here's my problem. He says, I raised four boys to drink. He said, I took them to the bars. I taught them how to hunt. I taught them how to play ball. I taught them how to fish, and I taught them how to drink. And he says, every chance I get, I share with my boys what Christ has done for me. And he said, they'll get in the truck and they'll drive off. They won't listen. They pay no attention to what I have to say. Pastor, is there anything you can tell me that I can do to reach these boys that I taught to live the way they're living? And I wrote him back as compassionately as I could, as tenderly as I could, because the man is just hurting. Young people, you got to get them when they're young. And then you have no assurance. You have to start. And you have to look down out ahead of where you're guiding that raft and watch for the white water. And make those decisions ahead of time. This is the way it's going to be in our house. And I want to tell you, my daddy's house, you didn't get a vote on it. He looked at me one day and he says, evidently, you think you live in a democracy. He said, we don't vote on that here. He says, I've made the decision and this is what it's going to be. Well, there you go. That's four things that all of us need to hear. Um, 
Lot not only wrecked the lives of his kids and his wife, he wrecked his own life as well. Let me give you the one verse we got to come to. Y'all depressed enough? Second Peter. Chapter 2. In the midst of Peter writing, you didn't get more Jewish than Peter. If God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to the pits of darkness reserved for judgment, didn't spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, and if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter, and if he rescued I don't like it, but I didn't write it. That, brothers and sisters, is the grace of God you read right there. Righteous lot. Boy, what a mess he made of life. And yet the book closes on him and calls him righteous. Why? Because was he righteous? No, but Christ was. Christ was. Let's stand. Father, thank you for your righteousness, for we all in our sin were clothed in the filth of the flesh, and you've come with your blood, and you've washed us white as snow. Thank you, Father. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Help us to learn from the example of those that we're told about in the old covenant. Help us to make that a part of our hearts and a part of our homes. Help us, especially the men, help us, especially the men, Father, to take seriously our role as the spiritual leader. Keep us alert. Keep us vigilant. Forgive us, Father, when we sin. Help us to recover from that sin so that we not mislead our families. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this recording from Valleydale Church. To find more or to connect with us about what you just heard, check us out at Valleydale.